0: hi people this is tony carey from rainbow planet p and all kinds of other stuff over the last 50 years with you on the follow your dream
1: podcast with my good pal robert miller everyone has
0: a dream robert miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star he followed his dream and he succeeded if you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream Then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream Podcast.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream Podcast with listeners in 191 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is saxophonist John Halliwell, a member of Supertramp. One of the greatest bands of all time. Their 1979 album Breakfast in America was the biggest selling album in the world that year. Whoa, that's good. You bet. And today he's a member of Mandoki Soulmates, the European super group. John is the third soulmate that I have had on this podcast after Leslie Mandoki and Tony Carey. And he's got several other projects going on that we'll talk about as well. And in the middle of this episode, as I do with all my musician guests, I love to do what I call a song fest, where I have asked John to pick out a handful of songs that are his favorites. And we're going to play them and we're going to talk about them and get the backstories and the real deal. And nobody else does this in podcasts. And you know that in every episode I feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end, and I always try to make that song relevant somehow to my guest or the subject matter. And in this case, I have chosen the song that I wrote called Ma Petite Fleur, because in his bio, John says that he decided to take up the saxophone after hearing Monty Sunshine. That's not Monty Python, by the way. Play the song Petite Floor when he was 13. So Monty Sunshine had Petite Floor. I wrote Ma Petite Floor. How's that for coincidence, huh? All right. So John Halliwell, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby.
0: Thank you. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Good night, everybody.
1: (laughs) Good night, everybody, wherever (laughs) you are. Okay, listen. I got to start off this episode with a confession. Okay, I've never done this before, but my confession is that somehow I completely missed Supertramp when you guys were in your prime. My goodness, but well, you were obviously too young. No, 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 not that. At- I wish I could blame it on that. I wish I could say I was being held hostage somewhere. It wasn't that. I think the reason was in the mid to late seventies. I was totally into jazz fusion me too you know and uh, i just missed the band and when i found out about super tramp which was several years later i kicked myself in the butt i said how could i miss a band like that you guys were absolutely magnificent
0: well thank you and, and i mean a part of our influence was jazz and then jazz fusion like weather report and you could say maybe steely down and stuff you know but that's part of our Legacy, although the other half is more like surf music, the Beatles, and uh, all sorts, you know, with all the different members of the band.
1: Right, but I think you hit the nail on the head for me. I was into Weather Report. Weather Report had, you know, just a a brilliant cast of people, including Wayne Shorter, who played the saxophone, and they came at fusion from a jazz kind of angle, whereas I felt that Supertramp came at it from a rock angle, but you were the glue that held it together because your saxophone, to me, you were the Wayne Shorter of Supertramp.
0: Well, that's a very nice compliment, thank you. Uh, Yes, and my background was was kind of jazz influenced for playing the saxophone, naturally, clarinet and saxophone. Uh, But then I kind of stepped into the rock and blues world and, and put some of that into it. So yeah, that's nice of you to say that. Weather Report were really going stronger in 76, 7, 8, 9. They were, they were really steaming with uh, heavy weather. That yes. was out in 1977, I think. That was, that was great.
1: An incredible album, wasn't it? Yeah. Just an incredible album. Okay, but you guys rode the wave. I mean, you were at the top of pop stardom, so to speak, particularly when you had Breakfast in America come out. You sold over 20 million albums. Think about that.
0: Well That's yeah, crazy, it, was, it went it? well. It went very well. Yeah. We <laughs> we we worked really hard for it. You know, it didn't come overnight, but that was good. We worked through the 70s for it, you know.
1: Okay. And I wanted to ask you, because you know, Supertramp is kind of known for the two guys that did the writing there, Roger Hodgson and and Rick Davies. You they were like the Lennon and McCartney of Supertramp. Exactly. And just like Lennon and McCartney, they had their issues together. How did that affect you guys?
0: Well, it was the yin and yang that that was really good for the band. And then the other three of us kind of sitting around with them and trying to uh, construct their songs and getting ready for recording. I think we had a, a, a good influence on them. And I think that individually, they would have been very good. But I think together, it was great because they... They they fitted together, uh, and then with the rest of us made it into a complete sort of package, which was were great for the, for the public, and um, it all seemed to work out. This was after 1973, when I joined, of course. There was two albums before that, and then we made Crime of the Century after I joined, and that was the kind of beginning of this uh, long path. Right. Upwards, shall we say, upwards, or, you know, in most getting more successful
1: so how did you join the band how did that come about
0: well i knew the bass player doogie thompson and i'd worked with him in another band in, in england before that the alan bound set the alan bound that i was with and doogie was in that and then which uh, that group split up and i did different jobs worked in strip clubs worked in cabaret worked backing american soul singers and then I was working in Germany in the early summer of 1973 and I got a call or well, my wife did. He couldn't really call different countries back then. It was a different world. You know, <laughs> um, I called my wife one day thinking about going back home In this is in July 73. And uh, she said, Oh, Dougie called um, yesterday. She's, would you like to go down and, and have a blow with, uh, with super I said, Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. I'm coming home anyway. So, I went home and went down the next day for a blow and then just kept going back.
1: So when you joined the band, they didn't have another sax player, did they, before you?
0: Not at the time, but prior to that, on on the second album, they, they had um, a, a saxophonist, um, Dave Winthrop. Uh, but then at the end of 1972, the, they kind of changed the band and were, were in the process of reforming for one last ditch effort to make something really good. And they, they already had Dougie on bass. And then they found Bob Siebenberg, the American drummer in London in early 73. And then they got me in. And that seemed to be a, a nice combination of of players. So we just kind of worked at it. And we we all went away as was as you did back then. We went and lived in a house in the countryside. All together. So yeah, and so we could rehearse and live and whatever, and it was it was good, and we formed and made, uh, Crime of the Century there, and that that was the beginning of the, of the new era of Supertramp.
1: When you took off, are you saying that before you did Crime of the Century, it was kind of touch and go as to whether the band would stay together?
0: It was that the, well, I wasn't with them of course, but they'd made two albums, uh, which had not done very well. Uh, for sales uh, and they weren't sure whether the record company was going to drop them or or what you know it was just a, a a time of flux right but um we went we went back to them when we'd made one or two demos of crime of the century and said hey this is what we'd like to do and we'd like to have one more go and they said the AM records it was and they said yeah go ahead guys <laughs> we like it
1: I'm glad they said that too okay yeah. now I, I'm interested when they brought you in, okay they it created a whole different kind of aspect to the sound, okay. I meant it when I said earlier that you were the fusion part of this for me at least, okay well, that's not yet, and I was wondering, did you kind of figure out your own parts? Did you figure out your own where you're gonna play did, or was it more orchestrated than that?
0: No, totally it was we all figured out what we should play with we we would hear uh, we would hear Rick or Roger come along and Roger would be playing guitar or keyboards or Rick would be playing keyboards and singing, singing a song that, he, that he'd written. Or, uh, and we would just kind of all just fit in however we, whatever we felt was necessary for the song. And I think one good thing is we didn't go overboard. We all tried to be quite subtle and not do too much, but make it into a really nice musical experience, you know rather than some of the prog rock stuff of the time we got a bit overbearing, people trying to do too many solos and stuff like that. We we tried to make them into, into songs and 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 tunes and 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 be yeah be tuneful about it all.
1: Well I think that's one of the things that distinguished the band from so many others because the, the melodies, the tunes were just so wonderful that were created. And, of course, the music that went with it that you guys all created was also just spectacular. I'm a big, big fan of Super Tramp and have been for so many years. And I'm interested, you're at the top of the game in 1979. Breakfast in America comes out. It's, it's rocking and socking all over the world. What was it like for you?
0: Well, it, we, we, we made it in 78, and then it came out in March, I think, 79. And we started off, we started a tour, which was another tour we were doing. Before that, well, and after, but we were doing, a two, one year was a tour, and the other year was making an album, basically. Uh-huh. So we went off on a really big tour in 79. We just played through from about March through till November, and we we did north america and europe basically and we it, we kind of perhaps we did too much we did about maybe 120 gigs I'm, I'm not sure what it was but it was hard and we needed a little rest after that but it, it it had been so successful you know because we were we were top of the charts and we were we, we had a reputation for uh, excellence in, in live we we tried to make it like we were when we performed live we tried to make it like they were all in the audience listening to a giant hi-fi and they <laughs> and they more or less more or less to the album right. we weren't copying the album but we 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 kept it quite strict because we're not like a blues band that can get up there and have a few drinks and and
1: just, just play jam the whole time jam. right
0: jam we weren't jamming no we had to be quite sober to play this music because it's quite complicated Right. Especially for five people trying to get all those uh, subtleties that we'd spent months recording, you know, and overdubbing and stuff, and five people to play it live. So we, we did well. And so we, we had a good reputation for live shows too.
1: You certainly did. I'm just curious, when when the album came out, before it became just a gigantic hit, did you know inside of you that it was going to be something like the top of the charts? Did you just feel that?
0: It felt good and it, it felt like it might be popular, but we were never we we didn't we didn't know. We thought it was going to be successful, but we didn't really realize how successful. Uh-huh. So we were very pleased with it all.
1: I have to tell a little story. Many, many years ago, I interviewed a guy named Felix Papalardi. Okay. And he was the producer of Cream when they did the album Disraeli Gears. Okay. Which yeah, was their yeah, second yeah. album. And I remember him saying to me that he held the master in his hands before it went out. And he said, I just knew that I had a number one album in my hands.
0: Oh, great. Great, great. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, we didn't quite know that, but we we thought we'd made a good effort. And it was different than the albums before, somehow, you know. It, it kind of struck a chord with people. And that we that's why we called it Breakfast in America. It was kind of our reaction to living in America. for We'd been living there for four years by that time. It, we, we all moved out to Los Angeles, you see.
1: I see. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Robert Miller. The Shakespeare Concert is the new album by my band, Project Grand Slam. 15 of our greatest hits recorded live in the studio, one after another, concert style. No overdubs, no fixes, just as is. The album's been praised by so many famous musicians, including Mark Farner of Grand Funk Railroad, Jim Peterick of the Ides of March, Joey D of Peppermint Twist fame, legendary guitarist, Elliot Randall, and celebrated British composer, Sarah Class. And the music reviewers have called it perfection. Five stars, thrilling, and a masterpiece, among other accolades. You can stream the album on Spotify, Apple, and all the other streaming services. And it's also available the old-fashioned way, for purchase as a digital download or CD from the pgsstore.com. I'll even autograph the CD for you. I want to thank you for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the show on whichever podcast platform you use. And if you want the inside scoop on each new episode, just sign up for our weekly email on our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. okay so you know what we've been talking so much about these albums and breakfast in america let's go to the second half of this episode because i want to get to some of the music that features john and the rest of the band right now we're starting off with your biggest hit uh the logical song which was from breakfast in america this was one uh written by roger hodgson about that
0: well yes it was written about his schooling uh, and that's both rick and roger uh, uh, had problems with their schooling which i, I didn't i kind of liked school and i thought it was okay but both of them i don't know because maybe roger's such a seeker of things uh, school didn't really do it for him but so he was writing about school and about them telling you what how to think and everything so when we came to record it this is interesting I ended up having to record the saxophone solo in the toilet in <laughs> in the studio because we were using the rooms for different things we used one room for the drums and another right. one for Roger playing his piano and that and there wasn't there wasn't any more space for me so I had to go <laughs> into the toilet with a microphone and uh, and just sitting there waiting for the take you know
1: I have to ask was the lid up or down the lid was
0: down and I was sitting <laughs> on the lid, on the down lid, yeah, on the downside. And and uh, every time we did a take, uh, I'd play a solo. And we did we did a lot of takes. We, maybe we did eight or nine takes. And we we took them home that night, all the takes, but not listening to the sax, just listening to the the piano, bass, drums.
1: Right.
0: And so we came back the next day and said, "This is a track that we like of, of the uh, of, of the piano, bass, drum." And um, so then we turned the saxophone up on that particular track, and that was the one that it, that solo wasn't overdubbed on it. That was done with it at the ah. time, and so it seemed to work. So there was a kind of magic going between the musicians. So it seemed to work out.
1: That's great. And you all agreed upon which take was the best one.
0: Yeah, we did. We, okay. we liked that one.
1: Then you knew it was. And that wrong. was
0: not that was not listening to the saxophone on it. But anyway, it was it was there in the toilet. But uh, it sounds all right.
1: You bet. You bet. A Great solo that you played on the sax. Let's go to the next one, which was an earlier song. This is Crime of the Century. So it's from your 1974 album of the same name. And the song features a, a, a whole string set on this one. Tell us a little bit about this one please
0: well that's part of the problem really the strings so what happened was we recorded it with just the group and i did a saxophone solo and we did several tapes and then we chose the take that worked and there was a really nice saxophone solo on it it sounded good so then after that we took the the backing track without the saxophone just the piano bass drums again we took it to a string arranger Richard Houston, And he put a string arrangement over the, the piece, including the the coda, the end bit.
1: Now, whose idea was that? Did you all agree that you needed strings on this?
0: Yeah, we all agreed for that. We wanted strings on it. And he did a super string arrangement on it. And we brought it back into the studio and we we put it on and listened to it and said, now oh, that sounds good. Let, let's let's turn up the saxophone on this now <laughs> that I'd recorded before. Oh man, it didn't go with it. The saxophone, for some reason, the way the strings were playing, the the solo that I'd done didn't Didn't fit. fit. So we thought, oh man, so I've got to go back and do another solo. So what happened was I went into a room with, with Rick because I was trying to maybe get little pieces of some of the other numbers and play them within a saxophone solo. So it's the only the only time with Supertramp that I kind of constructed a solo to play, and that's the solo I I play on the end of that, which turned out to be fit really well with it, you know, and it it, it was successful. And so I have to kind of replicate that solo when whenever I had whenever we did live gigs, really? it's quite a at the end of a whole concert, which we always played it at the end. It's it's quite a demanding piece to do because it's got a particularly high note at the end which is difficult to get on the saxophone so anyway it was a bit of a challenge and so it's become one of my favorite
1: numbers I'm interested in the answer you just gave because what you're saying is that when you played these songs live were you trying to essentially replicate your solos or did you just go off and do whatever at the moment felt right
0: yeah well, it's difficult. It, it, with a solo like the logical song, I use elements of of the recorded song and, and improvise, and but use some of those little phrases that seem to be uh, salient to it. And with the solo on crime, I actually copied my own solo. So at least I'm copying my own solo <laughs> to play, because it had to go over a certain number of bars, and it had to end on a certain high note. Right. Uh, so with that one i yeah I, I i copy this guy's solo but this guy's me
1: you ripped yourself off but it worked out <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right all right i want to add a couple of other super tramp uh songs into the mix here I, I didn't talk to you about this beforehand but two of my favorites of course are bloody well right which was a rick davies song And you do play it that's that sax solo at the end of it, so I felt that I could put it into the mix here. Tell us a little bit about how that one came about
0: well, well that was down that was on the same session as crime of the century and that's just a blow and that's uh, just me feeling that the rhythm and everything that Rick, Rick was doing it's, it's quite an easy song to to play on but it just seems to, to work out really well I, I like it and uh, it, with, with that name it was difficult. I think it became a B-side or something but it, it was people were so careful about what they were talking about back there I mean, it's bloody well right is kind of swearing in a way but this is 1974 you know so you it, can get away was, with
1: that back then it's a
0: bit touch and go you can get away with it now yeah in fact i'm thinking of calling one of my new albums bloody well right
1: good for you i'll
0: tell you about that later
1: all right so i'm interested because you guys do this call and response on bloody well right and are you part of the call and response thing?
0: Yeah, 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 sure. Right, right. right. You bloody well right. You got a bloody right to say. Right? You bloody well right. You know you got a right to say.
1: Okay, wasn't sure who was doing it there.
0: Yeah, it's me.
1: <laughs> okay. Unless I'm playing
0: the saxophone. <laughs> right. Right. You are bloody well that's right. right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that part I liked a lot. I have to tell you okay it was so different and i want to go to another one this is roger's big song take the long way home which i've oh, heard listen. him play in concert it's a lovely lovely song and uh if i understand correctly in this one somewhere in the middle of this thing you kind of do something together with the uh, with the harmonica am i right
0: there's um clarinet and harmonica
1: that's what i thought yes
0: okay. it's just a little duo thing and it's rick playing the harmonica and me playing clarinet. When you're up on the stage, it's It was more unusual with um a rock band to have a clarinet in yeah you know so in some of our tunes like breakfast in america poor boy um others and, and this one then the clarinet comes in and it it wasn't always pre-programmed it was just whatever seemed to fit the best you know
1: i have to tell you i thought the sound was absolutely perfect for this song okay oh, I, well, that's good. I thought Thank it was you. a clarinet i wasn't sure it could have been a soprano sax as well but I'm glad to hear it was the clarinet. You don't hear too many clarinets in rock bands these days. You don't. You don't. You brought the Benny Goodman kind of feel into it.
0: Oh, well, that's nice. That's another compliment. You mentioned Wayne Wayne Shorter. You mentioned Benny Goodman. Who else is it going to
1: be? Don't worry. Just wait around. I'll figure out another one. (laughs) All right. So let's go to um, some other things that you played on. You did something with Thin Lizzy, which surprised me because I didn't think it was your kind of style, but this worked out nice. This is Dancing in the Moonlight.
0: Dancing in the Moonlight It's caught me it's the light. It's all right, right. Dancing in the Moonlight On this long, hot summer night
1: Tell us about this one.
0: Yeah, this is just circumstance, uh, and it, I think it was 1977, and uh, Supertramp was touring, and we came to Toronto, and we did we were doing a gig or gigs there, and it just turned out that just down the road, in Toronto at that time, Thin Lizzy were recording their album. I think the is the album called Bad Reputation. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think that's it, and there's a connection. With the two groups in, in that Bob Siebenberg, Supertramp's drummer, at that time was the brother-in-law of Scott Gorham, who, were, who was in Thin, the guitarist in Thin Lizzy. Scott Gorham's sister was married to Bob Siebenberg. So they knew each other well, you know.
1: See the information that we give out on this podcast? Yeah. How yeah. could people live without knowing that?
0: Well, Bob went down to see them and, uh, it must've been talking and they, they must've just said, Hey, John's in town, man. We, we could do with a saxophone solo and a clarinet on something else. Uh, do you think he'd come down and we had a night off. So I just went down to the studio they were working in. It was just a, a real quick thing. Uh, they were, I think they were recording with Tony Visconti
1: uh-huh.
0: and, uh, there. And so I just did this session for them and, uh, it seemed to work out really well. And it sounds good on that, on that track.
1: I think it sounds great. And uh, I was just surprised to, to hear you on a thin Lizzy track because, you know, they're kind of, they're much more of a hard rock kind of thing.
0: Yeah, but they are, you know, but I, I know Scott and, and then I met the boys and they were a nice lot. And I remembered coming over to, uh, we lived in California, but sometime later I came over to London uh, maybe we were doing gigs, and um, I, I ended up going on top of the pops with them, with top with Thin Lizzy. It was nice. Yeah, I wore I wore a flat cap and sort of I was half in disguise, <laughs> standing there playing with them.
1: All right, it was good that fun. Sounds, that sounds good. All right, last one we're going to do is uh, is her name Melani? Am I pronouncing it right? Well, the, the the the
0: title of the track is Mel. I think it's Melanie. Melanie is the name of the single. The, okay. Uh, Melanie is the name of the song. The group is called Asphalto
1: Okay, I wasn't sure yeah, of that.
0: I think it. I think it translates to asphalt, which is what you put on the road. Okay. a spanish group and uh, i do this thing in this last few years i've done this thing where people will send me a track and say hey can you play on this and and i'll listen to it and think yeah i'll I'll do something on this and i play a bit of saxophone and send it back to them and they really liked it this spanish group and so they they made this single and they made a video and then they decided that they would be going on tour and they asked me to come out to spain to, to tour with them and we, we, in their set, we did, a, we did this Melanie and another song. And we did a version of School, uh, the, the Supertramp uh, number, School from Crime of the Century. They, they really like Supertramp, this, this band. So we, I came on and did three numbers with them on, on stage and had a little tour with them. And they're really nice guys. So this is how doing something like that can lead, lead to something else and a nice little trip to, uh, to Spain.
1: Sounds good to me. You know, I saw the video and I saw this girl that was in the video and I just thought her name was Milani. Oh, so that's it what might I, be. That's what yeah, messed me up.
0: It's like a cartoon, isn't it? The, the, the video, I think. The, yeah, I anyway, think that's what
1: it is. It, it worked out yeah. very nicely. We have been talking here to John Helliwell, a member in good standing of Super Tramp. It's been so much fun to talk to you about Super Tramp. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, we are going to play now uh, underneath the uh, exit here. The song that we started with, it's my song called Ma Petite Fleur. And I want to thank you all for listening and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the follow your dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate and review the
0: podcast. So you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at Podcast dot com, and you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com dot com and at thepgsstore.com. dot com.